Greetings, and welcome to Blue Stocking, the podcast for people who love to learn, but don't always have time to study. I'm your host, Rory Roberts, and this episode delves into a joint biography, Romantic Outlaws by Charlotte Gordon, that covers the lives of Mary Wollstonecraft and Mary Shelley. I'd like to start off today with an article from Time by Flora Carr called The Eerie Gravestone Where Frankenstein's Story Began. And of course, true to my fashion, I probably won't be able to resist throwing in my two cents here and there. You wouldn't know the significance of the small gravestone tucked behind St. Pancras Old Church, London, if it weren't for all the mud. There's a meter radius of mud surrounding the grave of Mary Wollstonecraft, the feminist thinker and author of The Vindication of the Rights of Woman, where visitors have tramped across the grass to get a better look. Side note, because it turns out I can't even go 30 seconds without putting my nose in it, Mary Wollstonecraft isn't actually buried at the site of her gravestone at St. Pancras. She and her husband, William Godwin, were moved by Mary Shelley's daughter-in-law, Jane, to be buried in a small family plot alongside Mary Shelley when she passed. And in a bit of callousness, Godwin's second wife, Mary Jane, was left behind in the cemetery at St. Pancras, despite her wishes to be buried beside her husband before eventually being moved and reburied during construction. As another crazy side note, the person in charge of making sure grave markers stayed with their respective graves during this construction process was none other than English author Thomas Hardy, further proof that artists sometimes have to do really strange jobs to make ends meet. But I digress, back to the article. The stone itself isn't much to look at. Wollstonecraft's name is so worn by time it's barely legible, but visitors haven't made the pilgrimage just to pay their respects to Wollstonecraft. The grave is also at the center of a story of intrigue, morbidity, and romance. And without it, there'd be no Frankenstein. Wollstonecraft was the mother of Mary Shelley, the author of the famous horror story published 200 years ago this year about a monster brought to life by maverick scientist Victor Frankenstein. She did not live to see her daughter grow up to become become a writer, dying of septicemia just over a week after giving birth to Mary. And it's time for another side note. Wollstonecraft, after a fairly short and easy two-hour birth of her first daughter, Fanny, was not expecting the birth of her son. Yes, she and Godwin were expecting a son instead of Mary and had already named him William after his father. Anyway, she was not expecting this birth to be any different or difficult in the least, and up until evening treated everything as if it were a normal day even sending her habitual note to Godwin, who rented office space a few blocks from their home so he could write each day undisturbed around lunchtime. Unfortunately, nine hours later, things were not looking so good. Mary ended up being born around 11 p.m., but the afterbirth wasn't coming out, so Godwin rushed to a local hospital and grabbed a doctor to take over for their hired midwife. Also, unfortunately, at the time, 
germ theory wasn't even a twinkle in its parents' eyes, so you know that doctor came straight from the patients he was treating at the hospital to Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin's bedside without even washing his hands. If you just threw up a little in the back of your mouth, sorry, and I don't blame you. Oh, medical history, you'd be crazy. Another fun side note. The original proponents of germ theory before Louis Pasteur was able to provide scientific proof were ridiculed within the medical community for their beliefs. Fun times. In Durant, back to the article. But even in death, Wollstonecraft played a pivotal role in Mary's life. Wollstonecraft was a radical thinker, vilified for her feminist ideas, and even called a hyena in petticoats by one British politician, Horace Walpole. She led an unconventional life. Her father was a drunk. Another side note, he was a very mean drunk, once hanging the family dog, which scarred her for life, and on several occasions, beating and raping his wife when he came home from the local tavern, despite Wollstonecraft's efforts to protect her mother, who didn't seem to appreciate them anyway. This will have a huge impact on her efforts to protect women in the future. Back to the article. And Wollstonecraft, she had an illegitimate child, a daughter called Fanny Imlay, before marrying Mary's father, the famous philosopher William Godwin. And after their marriage, Godwin and Wollstonecraft preferred to live separately during the day and communicate by correspondence, exchanging notes and letters. In the run-up to Mary's birth in 1797, Wollstonecraft sent a note to Godwin as she waited for the midwife, eccentrically eccentrically referring to Mary as their animal. I have no doubt of seeing the animal today, but must wait for Mrs. Blankensop to guess at the hour. I have sent for her, pray send me the newspaper." As a child, Mary was profoundly affected by her mother's legacy. Later writing in 1827, the memory of my mother has always been the pride and delight of my life. Mary's father taught her to read by tracing the letters on Wollstonecraft's gravestone as mother and daughter shared the same first name. Godwin would not have thought this was macabre. He would have thought this was an excellent way to teach his daughter about her famous mother. Charlotte Gordon, author of Romantic Outlaws, The Extraordinary Lives of Mary Wollstonecraft and Mary Shelley, tells time. The graveyard became Mary's private place, where she would often retreat. It was at Wollstonecraft's grave that the teenage Mary first declared her love for the poet Percy Shelley. Shelley was an admirer of Mary's father and grew close to Mary during his frequent visits to the family house. She was 16, he was 21, and already married. Percy was impressed with how brave she was to break all the rules that bound conventional young women, Gordon says. Scholars like Gordon speculate that the graveyard was also where the couple first consummated their relationship. Mary referred to July 28, 1814 as the anniversary of their union, after which they ran away to Paris together. Godwin disowned his daughter for several years after the elopement, which devastated Mary. 
Side note, it actually came as a huge surprise to the couple that Godwin did not approve of their running away together, since he and Wollstonecraft, even after they married, had been against the idea of, a, of marriage as an, institu- as an institution as a general rule. His disowning his daughter did not stop Godwin from constantly writing Shelley to ask for money, however, and it didn't stop Mary from constantly seeking her father's forgiveness and approval and channeling that pain into Frankenstein when neither was forthcoming. In addition to her gravestone, Wollstonecraft left behind another tangible legacy, her literary works. A Vindication of the Rights of Woman, published in 1792, was a groundbreaking work that advocated, among other things, the reform of female education and a woman's right to earn a living. Ahead of its time, the publication still resonates in feminism today. Side note, other works from Mary Wollstonecraft include Thoughts on the Education of Daughters, which she wrote around the time she founded and ran a school, several translations, an historical and moral view of the French Revolution, detailing her sometimes quite terrifying experiences in France during that time, letters written during a short residence in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark, which was one of the first travel memoirs written by a woman, and a beautiful essay outlining her beliefs about writing and art called On Poetry and Our Relish for the Beauties of Nature, in addition to a couple of novels. The woman was prolific, and after reading this biography, I am so interested to learn more. But back to business. Her daughter read all of Wollstonecraft's works several times, according to Gordon, later writing about the pressure she felt to match her mother's talent. She grew up surrounded by her parents' famous friends, including poet Samuel Coleridge. Mary's taste was also similar to her mother's. Wollstonecraft refers in letters to the influence of Milton's Paradise Lost, which looms large in Frankenstein. Mary Shelley saw herself as the keeper of the Wollstonecraft flame and dedicated her life to living according to her mother's ideals and philosophy, Gordon says. We know she read all of her mother's books because she kept carefully detailed lists of the books she read. For example, when she ran away with with Percy Shelley, they kept a joint diary and they recorded that they read aloud from Wollstonecraft on their journey and found inspiration from her words. Side note, that joint diary is also missing several pages that either Mary herself or some of her Victorian descendants tore out to protect the legacy and reputation of Shelley, who some believe had an affair with Mary's stepsister traveling with them, Claire, that resulted in a baby. What? Seriously? (laughs) This biography is so good. It reads like a trashy novel in parts, and Miss Gordon, if you ever by chance hear this, I mean that as the highest compliment. Thanks to my depression, but hey, I'm in good company with the two Marys. I haven't finished a book all year until this one. I will say, though, that I kind of wish I had bought a hard copy instead of reading it on my Kindle, because, fun fact, the Kindle version doesn't have automatic links to the footnotes for some reason, so buyer beware, buy the actual book if you're into that sort of thing. Back to the article. 
Mary not only shared Wollstonecraft's intellect and literary talent, both mother and daughter suffered from depression. Mary's father was very concerned about his daughter's dark moods, as he did not want her to be like her mother who tried to kill herself twice, Gordon says. Mary's dreams were haunted by the loss of her first daughter, born prematurely in 1815. According to her journal, while Wollstonecraft described in one of her published works how her very soul diffused itself in the scene around her following a suicide attempt. However, while Frankenstein is undoubtedly dark, the creation of Frankenstein's creature out of body parts in an era where grave robbers were common was to contemporary readers perhaps less macabre than one might expect. Mary would not have considered herself drawn to the macabre or to horror, Gordon explains. Instead, she would have said she was committed to exploring the deepest, darkest facets of the human soul, how we deal with loss, how we deal with sorrow, how we deal with death. Mary's fascination with death and the darkest facets of the human soul found its ultimate outlet outlet in Frankenstein. In 1816, Lord Byron, a friend of the Shelleys, challenged the group staying with him at his rented villa in Geneva to each come up with a ghost story. Mary Shelley's story was born of a nightmare. I saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out and then, on the working of some powerful engine, show signs of life. Mary then developed the short story into a novel at her husband's urging. Side note, some biographers think Mary may have fabricated the story of her inspiration coming to her in a dream as a way to soften the blow of a woman writing about such dark topics. If it was coming to her in visions, it could be taken as an artist's gift, rather than some innate flaw in her as a woman. There was a strong belief among many at this time that the truest art came to the artist in these types of visions, rather than being simply the creation of one mind, they could be credited as inspired by the divine. Back to the article. She faced an onslaught of tragedy during the writing process of Frankenstein. Within a couple of months, Shelley's pregnant first wife, Harriet, committed suicide, as did Mary's half-sister, Fanny. Mary was close to Fanny, both revered Wollstonecraft, and Fanny had previously determined never to live to be a disgrace to such a mother. In many ways, the creature in Frankenstein is inspired by Mary's outrage at the sufferings of outcast women, starting with her mother's terrible experiences as an unmarried mother, Gordon says. Just as the creatures rejected by society, so were women who had children out of wedlock or who were born out of wedlock, like her half-sister Fanny, who killed herself while Mary was writing the novel. Frankenstein, or The Modern Prometheus, was published in 1818. By 1851, it had sold 7,000 copies, more than all of Percy Shelley's poetry volumes combined. Today, it remains one of the best-selling Gothic novels of all time. While the tale of Byron's ghost story challenge is often cited as Frankenstein's inspiration, the time-worn grave surrounded by mud in central London offers another touchstone. Wollstonecraft's grave provided the focal point of Mary's childhood and of her relationship with Shelley, 
and it ties together Mary's lifelong obsessions with her mother's legacy and the morbid. Wollstonecraft, a radical dismissed after her death as a hysteric, never knew her daughter, but in Frankenstein, Mary provided her a lasting tribute. Okay, let's break down real quick why Wollstonecraft was dismissed as a hysterical woman after her death. By the way, the article's over. This is all Rory. Unfortunately, it's mostly Godwin's fault. He published several of her writings, not once, but twice, and both times backfired. If it wasn't something that she had purposely kept out of the public eye, like huge chunks of letters written at the time of her her memoir of travel in Sweden that she had quite sagely edited out of her original publication, if it wasn't that, he was going in and editing and sermonizing so heavily that her unique voice was just lost in the shuffle. He had the best of intentions, but you know where those lead. Honestly, Mary Wollstonecraft was fascinating, and I'm so excited to learn more about her and read some of her works. Thanks to the way she's been portrayed up until the past few decades, I only knew her as the mother of Mary Shelley and the author of Vindication of the Rights of Woman. I had no idea that she influenced people like Thomas Paine and Ben Franklin, but Franklin wrote enthusiastic notes in the margins of her work that clearly had an effect on him. I I didn't know that she'd founded and run a school or that one of her charges from her very brief tenure as a governess would one day grow up and disguise herself as a man in order to study medicine and become a doctor in Europe. I mean, the ripples of this woman's life are crazy, and I've barely scratched the surface here. Since I can't seem to find the right words myself, I'd like to share this quote from her daughter. Mary Wollstonecraft was one of those beings who appear once perhaps in a generation to gild humanity with a ray which no difference of opinion nor chance of circumstances can cloud. Her genius was undeniable. She had been bred in the hard school of adversity and having experienced the sorrows entailed on the poor and the oppressed, an earnest desire was kindled within her to diminish these sorrows. Her sound understanding, her intrepidity, her sensibility and eager sympathy stamped all her writings with force and truth and endowed them with a tender charm that enchants while it enlightens. She was one whom all loved who had ever seen her. Many years are past since that beating heart has been laid in the cold, still grave, but no one who has ever seen her speaks of her without enthusiastic veneration. I think I'm going to end it there. If you'd like to learn more about Wollstonecraft and Shelley, I highly recommend looking into Romantic Outlaws by Charlotte Gordon, and I have linked the author's website in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes to help me reach more listeners. If perchance you didn't enjoy, maybe trick someone you don't like into listening. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.